Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Do you mind taking God's Word this morning and turning to page 1, turning to the book of Genesis. And let me just tell you this morning, I am so glad that you're here today. The reason is, is because we begin this series of Advent, and we've been studying Matthew as a church. And if you remember where we've been in Matthew, we've just recently got into the ministry of Jesus. And today, providentially, you and I get the privilege of entering the first Sunday of Advent. Now, I say the term purposefully, providentially, because such a moment in our study in Matthew really ensures that our focus, before we get into the ministry of Jesus, our focus is going to be on constant reflection on the sent son. Seminary was one of the most influential times in my life, and I discovered something in seminary. It's really not really a discovery. It's something that I always knew, but something that was brought again to my attention. Something that's been forever solidified in my soul, and that is this. The absolutely importance of the doctrine of Christ. Now in seminary, we call that Christology. But the absolute importance of the study of Christ, and specifically the fact of His incarnation. That is, that moment that we celebrate every year around December 25th, of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, so that we could see His glory. The reason that He did that, of course, we confess as a group of Christians, we say that the reason the Son became flesh was so that He could save us. We say for our sake and for our salvation. And let me just say as we think about this new series, as we begin rethinking through Christ's coming, I hope that you never get over the Incarnation. I hope this morning that you never get over Christmas. Christmas, never forget this, is the story of the Son coming to save. So let me tell you just a moment as we progress in this new short series how we're going to progress through this season of Advent. Like I said, we've been going through Matthew. And if you've missed any of those sermons in Matthew, we've made it all the way into chapter 4, about midway through into chapter 4 at this moment. Uh, all those sermons are available for you on our website, OxfordBaptistChurch.com. I even have all of my sermon notes right there for you so that uh, you can look at those. I know oftentimes reading a sermon is a lot quicker than listening to one, so take advantage of that. Share it with your friends. It's there for you prayerfully so that we together can grow as a body of believers, concentrating all of our efforts on Jesus Christ. And so we've just gotten into the story of the ministry of Jesus and what we're going to do as we think about Advent is we're going to take Matthew's first chapter, that genealogy of Jesus. Remember what Matthew did? He went back to the Old Testament and showed us how Jesus was the promised plan of God, the fulfilled purpose of God in sending this Son. So we're going to look at how God was preparing the world to receive its King. And so in Genesis chapter 1 today is where we're going to start. It's a good place to start how God was preparing the world to receive the king. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And I hope to demonstrate today from the very beginning, this point, that God has a plan for man. 
God has a plan for mankind. He has a purpose. If you're here this morning, listen carefully. No matter who you are, God has a wonderful purpose, a wonderful plan for your life. And as we get started, here's a wonderful secret. Here is a great truth. His plan is the best thing ever. So let's start today in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be selective. We'll look at Genesis 1, we'll start in verse 26, we'll go through verse 28, and then we'll go into chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I'll remind you of those as we read, but go to chapter 1, let's begin in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now let's skip down to chapter 2 and let's begin reading in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows from east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We know that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to pierce through any stronghold, any barrier, pierce through and divide even bone and marrow. So, Father, we are submitting ourselves to your authority today as we ask you, in the power of your Spirit, to speak to us through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Probably, I'm just guessing with my audience here today, as I'm looking around, most are probably pretty familiar with that passage. But remember, Christians, as we're studying the Bible together, there is this danger that we often face, and that is the danger of familiarity. And So today, I want us to discover, I want us to see, God's plan for mankind from perhaps one of the most familiar passages of Scripture. By the way, let me just say this. If you can get a true and proper and robust theology from Genesis, the first three chapters, 
They're so foundational that they determine the way that the, the rest of the entire Bible is, is read. Everything flows from this fountain that begins in Genesis chapter 1. And so today, as we look at this passage, let me give you just two points today talking about God's plan for man. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is important, and I hope that we'll get this down. Man was created to enjoy fellowship with God. You here today are a created being. Now, we didn't read all of Genesis 1, but the Bible begins, if you remember, the very first verse that you could quote by memory, perhaps you're going through it in your mind right now, the Bible begins with this very foundational, overarching truth, and that is that everything that begins has a beginning. You, this morning, are a created being. I know how that strikes some of you. I also suspect that there's some that maybe you know or maybe that you're here today and you may have a problem with such a statement that you are a created being. But if you are created, here's the reason that many may have a problem with that. If you are created, then it means that there is meaning and purpose. Things don't just happen for no reason, but the contrary is true. There is a reason that all things happen. A creator means that there is someone who stands above you. There is someone who supersedes you, one to whom you owe your life, one to whom you are accountable to. So you see, the reason that a lot of people have this idea they want to dismiss the whole creation story is because really in our society, if you think about it, what we really love is this whole idea of individualism and autonomy. Every one of us love individualism. These inalienable rights that we all have, don't tread on me, this kind of American spirit, that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's just something that in the fruit of that bucks up against a lot of what the Bible says. And the Bible says that if there's a creator, then there is no true thing as complete autonomy. You cannot be an island. You cannot be the end of yourself. If there's a creator then it means that you are accountable to whoever it is that created you. But it also means this. If there is a creator, not only are you accountable to him, then if he created, then there must be some kind of design. He's not just going through things, throwing things on a wall, hoping that they stick. A creator in creation means that there must be a purpose. So let's think about that for just a minute. There's several individuals that... They're not okay with declaring that there's a creator. And then there's other individuals. Yeah, oh, of course they say. Well, of course there is a creator. But knowing simply that there is a creator doesn't relieve really any pressure from us. There's many that you may know, and maybe you're out here, you believe in a higher power. But that's about it. Mother Nature. We've traded Father God for Mother Nature in our society today and all the rest. But... If you believe in just a higher being, the problem is that that God is a God in your own image. Instead of what the Bible says, that you were created in His image. Now let's think about something today. If what the Bible says is true, if there is a God in heaven who has fashioned us according to His image, who has fashioned us according to His likeness, don't you think that you and I need to do our diligence to figure out who this God is? Do you see how important this is? 
if we know who He is, and listen carefully, then we'll have an idea of who we are. You can't really know yourself unless you know Him. Now, some have very strange ideas about God. Some see God as just some moral monster causing all kinds of evil. They ascribe God to all the kind of evil in the world. If God is this all-powerful person, then why on earth does evil exist? So they say God must be this moral monster who's getting some kind of joy and satisfaction out of all the evils in the world. Or they have this idea, others see this God as some kind of vengeful God. He's just up in heaven waiting for you to step across the line, and as soon as you step across the line, He pushes that button and you fall dead, or He throws that lightning bolt down and zap, you're gone. Others see Him as some rule counter, but others see Him as maybe something else different. They see Him as some great big granddaddy, the man upstairs. Just come and sit on His knee and He'll pat you on the back and say, it's all right, buddy, everything's fine. But let me tell you, the Bible's vision of who God is is so much grander than anything that you and I can even imagine. Matter of fact, the Bible's vision of who God is is greater than anything that really that we can ever write or ascribe our minds to. Understand this, and let me get this in our mind. This Bible gives us God. It gives us all that we can contain about God in our mind. But God is so much higher than what we can even think of Him. hope you know that. When we get up into heaven, it's going to be a forever opportunity for us to climb a mountain of God's existence, to think that we've seen it all. We're going to get up to the top of the mountain. By the time we get up to the top of the mountain, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see a million more mountain ranges for us to go climb to learn more about who God is. There's always going to be this distinction between who He is and who we are. And who is He? Well, simply, if we could put it in every term that we'll understand, He's God. He is God and we are not God. The Bible tells the true story of who He is. Think about this. When Moses was climbing up the mountain and he was already in communication with God. He had a great desire to know God so much so that he had just a taste of who God is so much so that it left him wanting more. It didn't necessarily satisfy him. It left him wanting more. And so Moses has this occasion where he says, God, show me your glory. And so then the Bible says in Exodus that the Lord passed by him and proclaimed. Listen to what he said. As Moses said, show me your glory, listen to what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Now that's who our God is. When you read something like that, I hope that your heart burns within you a little bit. As Holy Scripture is read before us today as this dumb ox stands behind this pulpit and proclaims one who's greater than anything that there is. I hope that when we read such a thing, when you hear such a thing, when such a word comes from this page to my eyes, to my brain, to my lips, to your ears, hopefully it makes it beyond your ears. Hopefully it goes all the way to your heart. This is the God that we know. This is who we bow to. This is who we worship. This is who we adore. He is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. 
Listen, He is a God of righteousness. He is a God of truth. He is a God of justice. He is a God who by no means will clear the guilty. He is a God who upholds with a firm line what it means to be right, what it means to be true. God will never be wrong. Does that give any kind of security for you? Hopefully it does. To realize that there's a God in heaven that you can go to and He won't ever have to say, well, I shouldn't have done that. No. He does everything with a purpose. Everything is beautiful in its time. This is the God that we can run to safely, as Psalm 46 says, is our mighty fortress. As James says, there's no shifting shadow, there's no darkness, there's no evil. He doesn't lie. He is altogether beautiful. And He stands more ready to forgive our sin and love us than we are even to ask for forgiveness or even to respond to His love. Here's the best part of the story. This is who God is. And this God, who is love, decided, not out of necessity, but just by His free choice, created you, created me, so that we could sit at His feet and keep an eternal festival seeking His face. What does that mean? It means that you and I were created to glorify God. We were created to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. Now the greatest delight of your heart, the greatest thing that you could ever strive to do, the greatest dream, if you were to have a dream and say, this is the one thing that I want to do in life, the greatest of all delights is to know God. The most amazing adventure that you could ever imagine taking is this wonderful adventure called knowing God. This is the greatest ambition that your heart can have. It's the reason that you were made. All so that you could know Him. Let's look at this truth together in this text. Let's just... Begin by simply seeing the space. Go back if you have to turn in your Bibles. And it's a familiar passage in Genesis chapter 1. I know that you know it. In the beginning God created. And on the first day, on the second day. You see all these days here in chapter 1. Then when we begin to the end of chapter 1 and begin at day 6. Look at just the space. Just look at the verses that are dedicated to man. If you're paying attention... More space is given to man than any other created thing. The Bible, when it does things, when God says things twice, listen carefully, He doesn't stutter, all right? When God says things twice, He does it purposefully. You know why? He wants to make sure you'll get it. He wants to make sure that I'll get it. He knows my hard head and, and yours too. Not that He created it that way. He's overcoming it. Some of us, it takes longer than others. But He says things purposefully so that we will get it. And by the way, what is it that we want to get? Listen carefully. What is it that we, what is the it that we want to get? It's Him. He wants us to know Him. More space is given to man than any other created thing. Then look at this language that's associated with the creation between the animals and the man. The animals, look at what happens here in verse 25. It says, Then God made the beast of the earth Look at this. How did He make them? According to their kinds. But whose kind is man created after? This tells us that God is determined to be committed to man. 
And you know what the rest of the Bible is? The rest of the Bible is a book that shows just how determined to man God is. Now there's a wonderful truth in 2 Timothy. I want to read it for you today. Listen to what it says. One that's absolutely too wonderful to believe. Remember what I said now? We have this passage in in Genesis chapter 1 that shows that man is the crown of God's creation. Man is the special creation of God that shows just how committed to man God is. And I know that such a truth is so hard for us even to understand. We have this idea of God so high and transcendent, so holy, but that doesn't mean that He's so far removed from us that we can't go to where He is. Listen to what 2 Timothy says. And I love this passage in 2 Timothy. It's a passage that when you first read it, it's one that in my Bible is marked and underscored and almost cried on and bled on and all the rest. It's a wonderful passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to what it says. Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. I'm glad that he said that. Because when he said that, it's almost as if it's too much to believe. Listen to what it says. If we have died with Him, we'll also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Now listen carefully. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. But listen to this. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny Himself. The Bible ends with this glorious vision. If you think about the way that it begins, the Bible begins with this glorious vision of God desiring fellowship with man. And then what do we have? We have this whole chaos, right, in the middle of it where even in the middle of the story, towards the end of the story, the eternal Son of God comes and is murdered by man, put on a cross by the Father. We have this this idea that God sends His Son so that the Son may die. It's brutal. It begins with order. There's chaos in the middle, but you know how it ends? The end of the Bible is this glorious vision of us, His creatures, enjoying Him forever being engulfed and wrapped in His love for all eternity, reigning with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Now go into chapter 2 just for a minute. And let's see how it is that God created man. Look at this. This is so good. In chapter 2. Look at what happens here. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. The Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground. A mist going up on the land. And then look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. You see that? What did the Bible say? Did the Bible say the Lord sent his angels and formed the man? Is that what it said? No, no. The Lord himself formed man. Now, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but you can handle it. He formed man out of the garden. Now he's going to take man from outside of the garden, and he's going to put him in the garden. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. That's important theologically. I can't tell you more than that. If you're interested in wetting your whistle, taking notes, that's important. 
for us theologically. He was born outside the land, and then God takes him and graciously prepares this land for him. Hopefully you're already hearing it, and puts him there. What did Jesus say for us? What did he say? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there. You, you, you see, get the point here? Right from the very beginning of Scripture, we have all the way the end already given us. But look at this wonderful language. Look at the intimate involvement of God with man. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And that language is so close to the intimacy of a kiss where we see God breathing into man's nostril the breath of life. And it's at that moment, after he receives the breath of life, it's then he comes to life. Do you see that? Here's this man formed. Get the picture in your mind. Whatever vision you need to have. You have this vision of God. Here's this dust. There's this, it's real dusty. There's no rain. Remember, everything's dusty. We've been there, right, in Georgia. Anybody ever traveled a dirt road, any, at least recently? You know what I mean. So here we have all this dust. And here God is taking and he himself forming the man. And here this man, this beautiful form of a man is, just lifeless there sitting. The hair's all in the right place. The muscles are right where they need to be. He's fixed right like he needs to be. Except he's not alive. Everything looks good except one thing's missing. God looked at that man with that language. Like I said, it's almost the language of an intimacy of a kiss. He reaches down, breathes into his nostrils. He receives the breath of God. And at that moment, then he comes to life. Now listen carefully. This is the glorious vision of Christianity. Every man is made in the image of God. Listen carefully. Every man, doesn't matter if they're a Muslim, doesn't matter if they are a jihadist, it doesn't matter if they're a Syrian refugee or whoever the case may be. And that rhyme, by the way, I didn't plan that. But listen carefully. Every person, the homosexual, is made in the image of God and has the capacity for having a relationship with God. And what's our purpose then? Our purpose is to go to that one who may be the vilest offender. They may be our enemies, but we have a message for them. The vilest offender who truly believes. That moment of belief from Jesus, a pardon received. That person who is made an image of God, every person is made an image of God and capable of a relationship with Him. What does this mean? It means that mankind has purpose. And the ultimate purpose of mankind is that they may have fellowship with God and enjoy Him forever. There is, like I said to the crowd on Tuesday night, there is no life outside of God. Here we have it. Without the breath of God, which, by the way, that's a reference to the Spirit. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You have to be born, not just born, formed, but you have to be born of the Spirit in order to receive eternal life. Man has no life outside of God. We were created for a purpose, and that purpose was to enjoy God, have fellowship with God, and to enjoy Him forever. And let me just say this as an aside. Let me chase a rabbit just really quick, although it's a, it's a good rabbit. Just go with me. I hope that's the way that you see things. I hope here this morning at Oxford Baptist Church that God is your 
greatest delight. I hope that when we sing the song, nobody thrills my soul like Jesus, that that's the indeed true ambition of your heart, that there is not one thing outside of knowing God that pleases you like Him. Have you become so familiar with your version of God that you lose all wonder? And I think that this time of the year as we look around and we see this sanctuary decorated beautifully by this decorating team, thank you so much for y'all's work and hanging all these beautiful greens up. This is such a good, perfect time of the year for us. It's Christmas. And if there's one thing that we know about Christmas, right? It's that Nat King Cole is going to be roasting those chestnuts over the open fire while Jack Frost is going to be nibbling at his nose. We know that. Just turn on the radio in just a few days, if you haven't already, you're going to hear that song. I heard it eight times yesterday, and that was just in a one-hour period. You're probably going to get tired of hearing what so many of us know as Christmas. But let me just say, in my home, there are two and now there are three people that over the next few years at my house are going to teach me what it means to wonder. Are going to teach me what it means to hope. Are going to make sure that their daddy doesn't get caught up in the mundane and the routine. Because for them, Christmas is anything but run of the mill. Christmas is anything but Routine. Isn't that the anticipation that you used to have as a child waking up on Christmas morning and seeing whatever it was that maybe you did or didn't get? Looking forward to that time and seeing that time. Listen carefully. It's, it's no wonder that Jesus said that unless we become like little children, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Maybe when he said that, he was teaching us to never lose our wonder, to never be consumed with other things that we lose our sense of awe when we think about God. You were created this morning. Listen carefully. You were created for more than mundane. You were created to have eternal fellowship with God. Number two this morning. You were created not only to have fellowship with God. What does that mean then? Number two, you were created to carry out God's will on the earth. Now that's important. Look at the way that that's written. You were created to carry out God's will on the earth. Now, I hope that you understand who is the worshiper and who is the one receiving the worship. Now that's an important distinction. God is the one that we worship. God is the one that we adore. We are dependent upon Him for all things. He depends upon us for nothing. We worship Him. He receives worship from us. He doesn't need us. But the beautiful part of the story is that He has chosen us to know Him and then to make Him known. Being made in the image of God means having the capacity of relating with God, but it's in a special way. What does this entail? Well, chapter 2 of Genesis gives us the details. Genesis 1.26. If we were to look at that, it says here, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then you see this, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. That's better translated. Let us make man in our image so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and all the rest. In other words, we're created in the image of God in order to, so that He gives us the capacity to carry out His will on the earth. 
Look at chapter 2 now, just for a minute. In verses 15 through 17. Look at what he says here. He says, He took man to the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Another translation says to worship and obey. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must surely not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have any other tree that you want, but the day that you have that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is the day that you will die. Now what's he telling us there? He's telling us that the details of our relating with God is based upon our joyful, fulfilling His purpose to fill the earth with the knowledge of Him. That's our purpose. To joyfully fill the earth with the knowledge of Him. The idea was that the garden was to extend not just to the borders of these rivers, but the idea was that the garden of the Lord, which is a a picture of the presence of the Lord, that was to extend and to fill the rest of the earth. Well, how does a garden fill the rest of the earth? It has to have a gardener. It has to have someone to go and cut down the thorns, cut down the thistles, pull the weeds. That was God's intention. So our purpose then is to joyful fulfill His purpose to fill the earth with the knowledge of Him. And there's some of you, I know, because your hearts are stubborn. Some of you, you react so strongly against such notions and you think that this Doing God's will is somehow a burden instead of a relief. And you might say, what if I want to do what I want to do? Well, what if what you wanted to do is what He wanted you to do? You see what we just did there? We just changed the whole scenario from burden to delight. From duty to joyful fulfilling His purpose. And this is so interesting to me. That this God who is all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving, this is so interesting to me that God can do anything that He wants, but He still chose you and me to fulfill His purpose on the earth. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I have two left hands, two left feet, and split forked tongue and double vision. I feel like sometimes, God, why on earth would you have me stand behind this place and teach these people? I do. I sometimes think about y'all's perspective. I come here some days when I'm working. I get right down on my knees and I pray here. Then I get right out there and I look here and I think, oh dear God, I hope they see me the way that I want them to see me. You know, God, why would you choose somebody like me? And maybe you have the same kind of reaction. Maybe you have become so concerned with yourself that you think, well, God can't use me and you've believed that so long that you're no longer trying to even be used by Him because you just think that He can't. Remember where He formed you. Remember the Bible says in one of the Psalms, it says that He is mindful of you, that you're nothing but dust. He knows your frame. He knows your form. He knows you're nothing but dust. But listen carefully. God has chosen to use creatures of dust to proclaim His glory that is as great and bright as the heavens above. He's chosen you and me. He could have done anything that He wanted. But for whatever reason, He has chosen you and me. What about this? Think about this. After the resurrection, what happened? After Jesus walks out of the tomb, the disciples, they were ready for Him to advance the kingdom of Israel. Isn't that what they said in Acts? Lord, is it this time that You'll make the purpose that which we've been waiting for come? Is it at this time that You're going to do all of these things? All the attention was on Jesus. He's the one that just walked out of the tomb. He's the one that just received this resurrected body. He's the one that just paid full penalty for sin. And then what does He do? All the attention's on Him. And then what does He do? He says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. 
all the attentions on Jesus and what does He do? He turns the attention back to them and tells them that they are going to be His witnesses. He tells them that it's their responsibility now that they're in Him to fulfill the creation mandate to multiply and fill the earth with worshipers to subdue the earth and have dominion over it to fight back the thorns and thistles and instead of seeing thorns and thistles see them thorns and thistles replaced with the sweet flowers of grace as a sweet aroma of redemption fills the earth and it becomes restored through redemption. You see, this morning, you were created to be a ruler. You were created to have dominion. You were created to be kings of the earth. But not just any king, servant kings. Our wills were to be in line with the will of another who is far superior to ourselves. We're created in His image. We can't rule apart from remembering who we are. Not just who we are, but whose we are. But... We don't have time this morning, but you can read chapter 3 and see. Some of you know the rest of the story. Man chose to rebel. Instead of subduing the earth, instead of fulfilling the purposes of God, what did he do? Man chose to rebel and try to build his own kingdom instead of building the kingdom of God. And as a result of a man that was created for fellowship with God, he was removed from the presence of God, removed from life. He lived. But now his living is nothing more than slowly dying. You see, he was created to carry out God's will on earth. But he began to have a hard time even finding out what God's will was. Much less carrying out God's will on the earth. But here's the good part of the story. This is the reason why we move to Advent. This is the reason why we move to the story of Christmas, but God is committed to man. And just as in Genesis chapter 3, after man committed this atrocity, rebelled against God, God came looking for man, and He came looking for us. He came seeking and saving the lost ones, and how did He do that? He sent His Son, Jesus, who came for our sake and for our salvation. Jesus was born so that He could save all of those who had been born. He lived so that He could save all of those who'd ever lived. He died so that He could save everyone who'd ever experienced death. And He rose again so that He could do what no man had ever done before. He could die and come from death alive never to die again. And what was His message while He was here living on the earth? What was His message? What did He say? We've already read it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus do? Where the reign of man was lost, He came to restore the reign of man. He came to fulfill the purpose of God. This is so good. I hope you're listening. Where did He do it? He did it in a garden. Do you remember? Here He was. Remember man in the beginning, God planted a garden and put the man there and then all of a sudden, where do we read in Matthew's Gospel? Where do we see Jesus as He's fixing to go to the cross? Where is He? He's in a garden. Praying. And then after the resurrection, John tells us that Mary sees the resurrected Christ. And the Bible says that Mary mistakes Him as a gardener. Why is that? Because He's fulfilling the purpose for what we were created for. He is 
fulfilling a purpose that you and I were created for. And you and I were created to enjoy fellowship with God. Jesus is the way that we enjoy fellowship with God. You see, listen, you were created to carry out God's will on earth and the work of God. John says in chapter 6, the work of God is to believe on the One that He has sent. The work of God is so that you may believe in Jesus. God has a plan for man. He has a plan for you. And that plan is life in the Son. To know what it means to truly live. Now, some of you this morning, you need to quit going around in circles. Quit trying to find meaning in something else when there is no meaning in anything else. You need to come to Jesus and live. You see, Jesus, while He was on the earth, what did He say? He said, come to Me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Those of you who are trying to find meaning in anything else outside of Me, there is no meaning in anything else. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's nothing else outside of me. And then he says, with arms outstretched, light penetrating darkness, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this morning, I want to encourage you, come find peace. Come find purpose. Come to Jesus and live. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you and we are grateful for the way that you love us. Thank you for patience with us. Thank you, Lord God, for having a plan. Thank you, Lord God, for seeking and saving we who are lost. Help us now to continually be those who come to You. All the time. Realizing that as we pray that You are more ready to answer us than we are even willing to pray. Realizing, Lord God, that there may be some here today that they've never trusted You and You, Lord God, no matter how far they've gone, You will save them. But they have to come. Father, we thank You that we believe these things that everyone's made in the image of God. And everybody on this earth no matter how far they've gone, has the chance, the capacity to embrace this one, to have life in Jesus' name. And Father, if there's anyone here today who is dead in their sins, may they see a Savior who's ready to forgive, who's ready to give them life. Father, give them the strength that they need today to come to Jesus and live. In whose name we humbly pray. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.